everybody. It is Corey Poirier, and I'm excited to be back with the latest edition of the Let's Do Influencing show. Really excited to have a brand new and first-time guest with us today. I'm super stoked as well. He was... Uh, uh, his name was shared with us with another great guest with the same first name uh, we had on recently, Mark Victor Hansen. So I'm really excited here to have Mark Goulston on today. And Mark, I guess what I maybe would like us to do at first, if you don't mind, is to get you to introduce yourself for our listeners and viewers who may be discovering you for the very first time today. Yeah, happy to. So uh, I was trained as a psychiatrist and uh, I uh, I was a suicide specialist for 30 years, and none of my none of my patients died by suicide in 30 years. And I trained uh, FBI and police hostage negotiators. And I've written seven books, and one of my books is called Just Listen, and it became the top book on listening in the world. It's in 24 languages, and I speak around the world on listening. Uh, I spoke in Moscow along with the Nobel Prize winner, Daniel Kahneman. He wrote Thinking Fast and Slow. So we were the headliners uh, last October. And because uh, four of my seven books are bestsellers in the Russian edition. And uh, I, uh, I'm an executive coach and I work almost exclusively with CEOs and entrepreneurs. Um, uh, and I get them to think outside the box, which I'm about to do with your listeners and you. I love it. And so having said that, one area I wanted to go with right away, if you don't mind, is on the speaking side. Before we dive into uh, mindsets and, and even how to think differently, as far as the speaking side, you mentioned that you speak all over the world. So how has COVID impacted you in terms of live speaking? And has a lot of stuff shifted over to online, Zoom, what have you? Or how does that sort of play out for you? Oh, it shut it down. So now we're doing, you know, Zoom calls. And so I, I'm called in to, uh, uh, to do presentations via Zoom. Uh, uh, there's one that I got to share with you because it's just so humorous. So there's a company that had me in to keep their, their sales force kind of enthused uh, because uh, they're running into challenges. Uh, and we're actually turning this into a case study. And I, uh, so imagine what Zoom fatigue is. And if you're listening, you have Zoom fatigue. You probably, you know, I, I probably have 30 seconds to hold on to your attention or else you're going to tune us out. Um, and so what I present to this, so imagine it's, it's people from around the world. There's about 150 in the call. And I'm a psychiatrist by training. And I said, I want to introduce two things to you. Something that most of you are too young to even remember. But once upon a time, there was a movie called Network that won the Academy Award and the lead actor, Peter Finch, won the Academy Award, even though he died before he accepted it. But he played a news person who said, uh, I want you to get up off your chairs and go to the window, open the window and say, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. And it created this phenomenon. And what I realized is a lot of people who are feeling fatigue, yes, do mindfulness. Yes, do healthy things. But a lot of people down deep are frustrated. And there's something to be said about getting things out safely. Then I also shared with them because I'm a psychiatrist and I know something about neuroscience. There was a treatment, I don't know if they still use it, for a certain kind of stroke where people have trouble expressing themselves. And it was called melodic intonation therapy in which you teach these people who can't talk how to sing and they can express themselves and then you take the melody out of their singing. So it helps bypass the stroke. So imagine this. This is what we did for the Zoom call. Uh, I said, what I want you to do is something that I've been doing every morning. I've noticed that 
uh, I don't wake up and jump out of bed, but if I start singing and venting my frustrations, I start laughing. So if I start saying, oh, I woke up again today. Why do I have to face today? Oh, just get in the shower, Mark. And what happens is it loosens it up. It bypasses it. So uh, picture this in your mind's eye. So I said to all these people, what I know, and it's called the Merci Beaucoup, and Merci stands for muted, expletive, remote, check-in. And I said, you're all going to mute, and you're all going to start singing and venting. And we won't know what you're saying. And so one by one, I said, I'll lead off. We're going to do it for a minute. And I started, I said, oh, here I am again today. Why am I doing this Zoom call? And I was singing. And then I said, now start singing. And you just watch them. And they started to sing. And they started to laugh. And they started to giggle because it loosened them all up. And then we did in the Zoom chat, how many of you felt that that improved your mood, kept it the same, or worsened it? So there was a... a 70% felt they uh, improved their mood. Afterwards, we followed up and we said, how many of you felt closer to the people in your company because of it? 20%. How many of you chuckled afterwards the exercise? 25%. Uh, how many of you felt it was a foolish or silly exercise? 0% across the uh, company. So that is the merci beaucoup antidote to Zoom fatigue. You heard it here. Try it. It works. I love it. So, uh, so I'm, I'm glad I asked you that question then because that's the question I get asked the most because my background is a uh, full-time speaker who also always had what they might call a side hustle. I hear people call it that now, but I've always had the stuff on the side, but I've always been a speaker. So that's why I want to ask you the question because that's the question I'm getting from everybody. So if we flip a little bit to the other side, which I'm really intrigued by, and you and I were chatting sort of off air about um, the power of thinking like a visionary. So I wanted to talk to you about that today because I think that would be really powerful for our listenership and our audience. And so um, first and foremost, I guess, what are some of the characteristics? And you know, you were saying about uh, you know, the power of thinking like somebody like Elon Musk. So maybe we can even take from that perspective, are there common traits or characteristics that you see in Elon Musk or somebody similar as a visionary that everybody can sort of apply or is it unattainable? You know, we have to work toward it for years. Well, uh, actually uh, two years ago, I toured playing Steve Jobs back coming back from the dead. I had the turtleneck, I had the glasses. And, uh, and what happened is I'm able to sort of get into people and look at the world through their eyes. And that's what my talk was. I became Steve Jobs. I was able to be, I was able to release my inner a-hole and I had a great time. Uh, and, 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 but here's the secret about visionaries. They see the unknown as an adventure to be lived, whereas other people see it as danger to be avoided. Mm. And the reason they see it as an adventure to live is they have a track record of also being a first-class noticer. So my late mentor, big leadership guy, Warren Bennis, that was one of his favorite quotes, is be a first-class noticer, because when you notice things, you attach to it, you see it. It's different than looking, watching, and observing. Mm. Like right now, I just noticed that you, you're a quick study and you took that in, but the word notice went into your head, and I just noticed that you took it in and you're saying, I wonder what I think about that. So when you notice, and so what happens is Elon Musk and Steve Jobs could notice things, 
that nobody else noticed. They would notice things. I wonder what would really excite people. Plus, when I, uh, when I gave the talk as Steve Jobs, there is a formula. And if you look up Cheddar, Mark Goulston, Cheddar is an online thing. I presented this, the, the, uh, the four steps to thinking like an entrepreneur. And I talked about this is what Elon Musk and Steve Jobs and what you have to do whenever you're uh, presenting stuff and all your marketing material has to create this. What you want to trigger in people is whoa, wow, hmm, yes. And woe is, I can't believe what I just saw, heard, or read. And when I was a suicide specialist, they couldn't believe what they felt because they felt hope. Mm -hmm. So that's the woe. The wow is they say, that's unbelievable, amazing, astonishing. You do that? Yeah, that's all we do. And then the hmm is, this is too good to ignore. I don't know how we're going to use it, but this is too good to ignore. And then the yes is when they figure out how to use it. So when I used to play Steve Jobs, I would show this dramatization. So if you go to Steve Jobs Xerox Park, that's spelt P-A-R-C, National Geographic, Steve Jobs Xerox Park, National Geographic, you'll see a dramatization of Steve Jobs discovering the mouse at Xerox Park, the graphical user interface. And I would show this when I would play Steve Jobs, and you'll see the expression on his face. He's the skeptical, cynical Steve Jobs. You know, nobody can tell him anything. And he sees the mouse, and he's like this, and he goes like this. That's the woe. And then, and so he goes from cynical to woe, and then he says to the technician, can I try that? And then the music goes up, and he touches the mouse, and he starts to sweat. And he's looking at the screen, and that's the wow. And then in the two-minute video, Steve Wozniak pipes in, because uh, in the video, the person playing Wozniak's there, and Steve Jobs looks at him, and Steve Wozniak, in real time, in the video, says, when he looked at me and showed me the mouse, I said, once they go there, they're not going back. That's the hmm. And then Walter Isaacson, who wrote the Steve Jobs book, uh, towards the end of the video, said, Xerox didn't know what to do with it. But Steve Jobs went back to Apple and they created the Macintosh. So you can see the whoa, wow, hmm, yes. And I will tell you this, in this nano, nat uh, attention span world, if you don't create whoa, wow, hmm, yes, you're creating nah, no thanks, never mind, pass. So go to your marketing team, look at your website, uh, put yourself in the shoes of whoever you want or your audience. Uh, and unless you trigger, whoa, wow, hmm, yes, you're going to lose them. And so if you're not doing that, fix it. So here then is, to me, the million-dollar question. Do you feel that Elon, Steve, and, and you know, we could go down a list of visionaries, do you feel that they, when they're creating stuff, did they naturally do this or do you think that they actually intentionally did it? So was it just like something they automatically all had in common or did they intentionally go, you know, we got to do this, we got to do this, we got to do this. I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that. Well, they have two aspects to their thinking and they both have it. Um, they are both, they have a passion for divergent thinking, which is creative outside the box. And they have a passion for convergent thinking, which is let's turn it into a product. 
And most people have one or the other. If you're too creative and divergent, you'll drive your staff crazy because every week you change your mind. Yeah. And then they'll do nothing because you changed your mind because you're excited about something. And then if you're too convergent, you'll be John Scully at Apple. So what happened is Apple, the board couldn't control Steve Jobs because he was too divergent and too arrogant. So they bring in John Scully and he killed the creative spirit because he was too convergent. Right. And so they have a passion for being able to be divergent and being able to be convergent. And also uh, one of the reasons they both love drugs and psychedelics is because neither of them trust people. And when you're getting too divergent, you know you gotta switch gears, but sometimes you get stuck in the divergent because it's so exciting. Uh, or you get too convergent and you know it's time to go back to the uh, divergent. And one of the things that psychedelics do is they cause you to let go of control because when you're under the influence, you're out of control. And I think what appealed to both Jobs and Elon Musk is it's a way, uh, and again, they're not scared of the unknown. They see it as an adventure. So I think they use psychedelics to be able to move back and forth when they need to between divergent and convergent. Wow, I love that. That's, yeah, I mean, that, it, it's, it so makes sense once you hear it in that, in that perspective. Yeah, totally. Well, and what about, um, is it a part of being a visionary that when I think about both of them, it's not like they, Steve Jobs did or, or Elon Musk does a massive amount of interviews. Is that another common trait they have that they're, you know, they're not wanting to be out there all the time and happen to be sort of in the news all the time. And I mean, they're in the news by nature of actually not being out in the news, but I wonder if, is that something that's a common thing around visionaries that they don't have to actually actively be sort of doing interviews about it and stuff like that? Well, well, I'll tell you, going back to the adventure of discovery, with both of them, the joy of discovery is more exciting than what they discover. Mm. The joy of it. And so what happens is once you're locked into that, once you discover something that's calling out to you and nobody else sees it, it's mesmerizing. And so there's no need to give an interview because what's happening is something is calling out to them that's theirs for the taking and no one else is seeing it. I don't know why no one else, I don't know why Xerox can't use a mouse. I mean, it's so obvious. And, and so what happens is it becomes really, uh, here's another thing, if you're listening. Uh, I coach a lot of entrepreneurs and CEOs. You have to be compelling to open people's minds and convincing to close out the sale. The problem for a lot of tech, uh, tech people is they get, they, they're too convincing too soon and they, people tune out. So compelling is what opens people's minds. Compelling is what causes whoa, wow, yes. And so you might say, well, how do we develop that? So when I coach entrepreneurs, I say, what's the least that you can say that causes people to say, what's that about? Tell me more. And I will tell you, if you go on too long, it, it, it very quickly goes to, thank you, I've heard enough. But the problem is a lot of people who love technology 
they get so caught up in all the details and nobody cares except other technologists. And so what's the least that you, remember Steve Jobs thing uh, when he presented the iPhone, what do he say? It's a phone, it's an internet device, uh, you know, it's an iPod, yeah, whatever, and, and, and back and forth, and then presenting the iPhone. So that is perfect. So what's the least that you can say that causes people to say, what's that about? I'll tell you, I'm giving a talk. I give this talk to consultants and coaches. And, and I'll just tell you the opening because it, it's just a killer opening. And I say to them, um, how often do you meet a prospect? So these are you know, coaches and consultants. And at the end of the first conversation, they ask you these two questions. How soon can you start and how do you like to get paid? The audience is silent and I say, it never happens, right? It never happens. That's why you don't have anything to say. Well, inside that prospective client is someone who could ask those questions. How soon can you start and how do you like to get paid? Your opportunity is go find that part of them. Mm -hmm. And that's what the presentation is. But, but that's a compelling opening. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I love that. And, and it makes me think of when you mentioned like with Steve Jobs, his, um, his tagline when he launched, I think it was the iPod, was a thousand songs in your pocket. Well, if you just walked on stage and said, how would you like to have a thousand songs in your pocket? At that time in history, when we had like a Discman with 10 or 12 songs and that's all we could carry, you're, you're immediately going, I need to know more. Like you have to know more. And, and to your point, I mean, he created that compelling headline so much so that I, that's what the media ran with. I, I, re I remember reading a book where uh, the presentation secrets of Steve Jobs, where he said that he actually created that tagline so that the media had their tagline right for after the event. Like he said it on stage to almost say, here's your headline, but it's a compelling enough thing that I want to know more as soon as I hear that. Now, also something else uh, is a tip uh, a friend of mine designed Disney Tokyo and Disney Paris. Uh, and he shared with me the term mental real estate. Um, and what that means is uh, when you come up with a term that's familiar to people, they lean in because it's familiar. And then when you repurpose it, you have mental real estate. So what he said to me was Disney, uh, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean owns the word pirates in the minds of kids. So therefore, Disney owns pirates. So my last book has a lot of mental real estate. Uh, you know, I've written seven books. My last book, so my book, Just Listen, has pretty good mental real estate. But my most recent one is called Talking to Crazy, How to Deal with the People that Drive You Crazy. But Talking to Crazy has mental real estate because when I was asking people, what do you think about it? They all smile. And I said, what are you smiling about? They say, I do that every day. <laughs> But I'll, here's the real mental real estate. So I go to Russia, I'm speaking with a Nobel Prize winner. And I say to them, why do you have me with a Nobel Prize winner? I mean, I'm, you know, I, you know, I get these books. And they said, doctor, his book did not go viral. So the Russian edition of Talking to Crazy, I kid you not, is how to talk to a-holes. It went viral across Russia. That's mental real estate. Wow. Amazing. Well, Mark, I mean, I'm going to have to call us a to be continued because I feel like we barely scratched the surface. I truly do. Uh, but I also feel like you've given us like 
four or five, you know, whatever you want to call them, knowledge bombs, you know, wisdom nuggets. I don't know what people want to call them, but four or five things that we can actually apply even if we're just starting our journey. So I love that. If you're an entrepreneur, you're just starting your journey to be able to apply something that Elon Musk naturally has or has developed, whether knowingly or unknowingly over the years, I think uh, you, you couldn't ask for more. And so I guess my very last question but maybe the most important is how can people connect with you further, grab those books, learn more. Is there a hub where you normally send people? Yeah. Go to markgoulston.com, M-A-R-K-G-O-U-L-S-T-O-N.com. Plus check out my wake up call. That's my podcast. And I open people up. It's the most personal interviews they've, uh, they've given. I've spoken to Larry King, Norman Lear, Ken Blanchard. Next week I'm talking to Tom Steyer who ran for president uh, and, and 80, so far, 85 of the 115 interviews said it's the most vulnerable they've ever been. And I always tell people, you know, uh, we don't have to post it. And everyone has said, I don't know how you brought it out of me, but I want people to see this side of me. My wake up call. My wake up call. Well, I'm going to subscribe right away as soon as we finish here. And, you know, I have to say there's no, this just happened to me not that long ago, but there's no feeling like that. I did an interview with Lisa Nichols uh, from The Secret. And, and Lisa, uh, she said at the end of the interview, thank you for your gift. I just did 155 interviews in six months and you brought out of me things that nobody's ever brought out of me. And mm. as an interviewer, I don't think there's any better feeling in the world than that. So, so I, you know, I have to, t I have to check out your interviews if you're bringing that stuff out of people that they don't normally share and getting them that vulnerable because I dig that kind of stuff. I love when people can be raw and, uh, and we can learn and they can be vulnerable. So yeah, I'm going to have to check it out. Yeah. I can't wait to have you on as a guest and what I'm going to pull out of you will, uh, you'll really like. I bet you I will. I so look forward to that. Well, Mark, thank you so much. It's an absolute pleasure. We will start waving the flag for you and just thank you for all the great work you're doing and have an amazing rest of your day. Same to you and same to all your listeners. Please stay safe, everyone. Awesome. Thanks, Mark. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.